Well, here we are at the beginning of Season 3 of Star Trek, the original series, with Spock's brain. <laughs> you have to be dramatic when you say it, otherwise it sounds really stupid. Brain and brain! What is brain? Yeah, that, that's... I, I'm just going to not even pretend to structure my thoughts about this one too much, but that that particular line, which, which is so infamous uh, with, the, with the show, when I, I was listening on headphones watching this today and, and 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 that woman's voice when she said that just pierced my eardrums with with this it was it wasn't that it was so ear splittingly loud or anything it just it was just embarrassing the the way it was delivered and everything it was just ah. <laughs> oh um rob so, i wanted to say something while we're getting started here i couldn't figure out a way to do it but um my original intention uh, for a wedding gift for you and Neha was uh, embroidered Morgan I Morg towels. <laughs> That's a great gift. <laughs> Somebody must have made those, don't you think? Oh my god! At some point, yeah, maybe Think Geek. I didn't think to look there. Morgan I Morg. You know, if not, it's a lost, missing opportunity there. Right? Yeah. You could sell them. <laughs> hey! <laughs> oh god, it's funny. <laughs> Morg uh, and I'm Morg. But before we get started with Spock's brain, we'll, we'll put put Spock's brain aside in its black, black box. box. <laughs> and and we're going we're going to uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the season we just finished, season two. And although we didn't actually do this with season one, but you know why not? What do you guys think about season two as, as a whole? Um, it's kind of in my mind the has some really solid material in it. It's, um, it's of course, the final season that Gene Roddenberry was really involved with the show before things started to, to go south. And it's uh, it's a really interesting collection, looking back on it, of episodes. I mean, there, there are a few clunkers in there, but really there's some, some huge, huge episodes in there, in, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, Bob, it's interesting. Well, I think it's interesting the way that the the series sort of did really expand, you know, horizons and explore the characters more. So I think there was a lot of they they did a lot of great things, and there are a lot of really good episodes. Um, but a trend that I do I did detect, and I feel like especially towards the beginning, there there are. Although actually, now that I'm looking at the list, there are some really crappy ones at the beginning too, like Cat's Paw. <laughs> And I mud, which are both pretty terrible. Especially cats. Yeah, yeah. But I think they, the creators of the show, or the, the producers, really understood what was working well. It seems like, and they they built on it and developed it in a lot of good episodes. And then they also, I feel like, they're sort of this is my theory of Star Trek decadence. Whereas in the first season, they. Oh, forget they, about your theories. Yeah, I know. Forget about my theories. <laughs> which is that in season one, they gave us episodes like Return of the Archons, right? which, you know, worked with these really interesting themes about, you know, control and, for, you know, form society and, and sort of, and it also addressed the issues of communism and the West versus, you know, the East. The big and, ideas. The yeah. big ideas, but they didn't do it in a, in a, you know, heavy-handed way, in a in a really obvious, in-your-face way. Whereas in the second season, you see that ha- starting to happen, and 
they go they they sort of shift from doing things that are sort of you know parallel in in sort of concepts to what's happening on earth to actually giving us stuff from earth's history or or nearly earth's history and i don't I mean i'm not i don't know i'm not articulating it very well this time but if you you know episodes like bread and circuses you know patterns of force it's some of a piece of the actions and some of these are good are actually good episodes but they are we are giving you a parallel earth you know we're not showing you a planet where there are things happening that parallel our own experience and i feel like that leads to some really silly places in the second season like i think that Bread and Circuses is sort of an example of it, even though it's not a terrible, not a terrible episode. Um, no, actually, I like Bread and Circuses, <laughs> despite its. Um, but if you were to ask me, you know, of all these episodes that I just mentioned, you know, um, I feel like Return of the Archons is a stronger episode because it 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 has all this alien stuff. You know, it's not like about here's the Nazis and here's the Roman Empire. And yeah, it sounds quite so bludgeonly literal yeah yeah so that's my kind of fair but unfair take on the second season uh my my other thing dad i think that's a really good idea rob is uh they 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 obviously the 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 writers in this one in this season really wanted to they just kind of pushed it to a a different level Uh, again a more literal level when they wanted to make a you know kind of a political historical point yeah, but the the other thing that stands out to me is and while it is really the 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 characters are, you know the, the, of the regular cast is uh really i mean they started out pretty strong the development was good from from really the, the first episode but how comfortable and easy all of the character interaction is by the time you get deep into season two is uh, the uh, the the way that the people writing those episodes knew that they were they 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 knew the strengths of the actors, they they knew how what the formula was and it it, it feels comfortable, whereas the, it's not quite it doesn't fit quite as well in the first season even even as strong as the episodes were, it doesn't quite have that uh, you know nice nice uh, feel of the 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 characters have in season two. But that, um, that's that's the thing that that definitely struck me is how is how how well that works. You know, e- even in the episodes that are weaker. I agree with that. Go yeah. ahead, Eric. I was going to say um, one of the things that I really like about the second season is exactly that: the character interactions are solid, and um, it just seems like, uh, particularly in terms of the portrayal of the characters, they've really hit their stride. Um, what you were saying, Rob, is kind of interesting, um, and I think there is some validity to that point that uh, there was more, perhaps more subtlety to some of the first season episodes. But then again, I mean, you got to look at uh, some of the second season episodes, like Amok Time is great, Mirror Mirror is great, Doomsday Machine is great, um, Journey to Babel, uh, you know, the Ultimate Computer, the Omega Glory. Those are some Really, I mean, those are some of the best episodes in classic Trek. Um, I think perhaps, um, well, I was going to say that uh, the episodes in the second season are by and large 
more imaginative, but I'm not sure that that's exactly the case. One thing I do notice, though, um, watching them in both, uh, both seasons in the order that they were aired, the, the episodes in those seasons, is that uh, the first season took a while really to, um, to find its stride. For the first third, maybe even half of the first season, it's good, but it's not great. And then they hit their stride, and, you know, you have episodes like you were saying, uh, Return of the Archons and um, City on the Edge of Forever, which are, uh, again, some of the best ones in the entire series. But, I mean, you look at season two, and we start off with a mock time. I mean, they just, I mean, uh, it's a really strong start to the season, and, and yeah, there are some clunkers in there, but uh, by and large, you know, the quality of the episodes was uh was quite solid well i think eric it's like um <clears throat> also a good point but season one has um yeah again it 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 seems to lack a certain consistency yeah in, in the you know, again through the and which i think is true for you know many shows it's anything that's starting out like that it's like the again like i said with the the, the characters the way they're they're written more comfortably is that the uh, the style of, of the of the drama and the action and everything um, def- definitely evens out yeah. as the show progresses. Now you could say that it kind of grows limp as as you get into season three, but definitely se- season one has some some more spikes in if you put it in a, a graph or something like that. That uh, where, whereas it's a little more even. Yeah. If, if that makes any sense, yeah. As far it's not, it's not really a, it's not a, a traditional story arc like we see in a lot of modern shows, but definitely the the, the style, the episode to episode varies quite a bit. Well, and I was just thinking that, um, well, I don't know. It, it's a difference um, in the, I guess, the aesthetic and the whole way that uh, television shows are conceived and produced today versus 40 plus years ago but uh, you know three seasons like the original series had was perfectly uh, structured to do as kind of a trilogy and obviously it's not possible to do it but you know if you could somehow use the um, warp speed breakaway factor and go back in time um, it would be interesting to see, you know, talk to Gene Roddenberry and see if you could say, you know, you're going to have three seasons, so how about having an overarching uh, storyline, and um, each season is uh, an, an act in a trilogy. Yeah, and, they're, they're bookended, so to speak. Yeah, kind of like what they did, ended up doing with... Um, Next Gen, which I thought was actually quite well done, the way they bookended it and had more or less a common theme running through the entire series. Yeah. No, wait, have, Eric, oh, can, you, ahead, can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Because I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble understanding what you're saying. So, what you're talking about bookending seasons? Well, what I'm thinking is and having that a theme. <clears throat> Go ahead. The uh, the classic structure of uh, a movie even a television episode or a book trilogy, is that, you know, you start off and you, you build to a turning point, mm-hmm. 
and then that turning point propels you into the next segment, the middle segment, which ends in yet another turning point, which propels you into the, the third and final segment. And then, of course, you have the climax and the denouement. And what I'm talking about is, given that original Trek had three seasons, um, I, I, obviously it's not possible, but it would, it would be really interesting to see if, if there's a way or could have been a way for the three seasons of original Trek to do that, to follow that structure mm-hmm. as, a, a, as a trilogy with an overarching storyline uh, rather than just you know three seasons of um, episodes that are they're connected, but there's no but there's no common really no common theme or plot running through the entire series. No, and right. and, and of course if if you if you were to take all three seasons and shuffle all the episodes around and watch them, um, if you didn't know the show super well, you'd probably you you the the biggest changes you'd probably see is that. Um, oh hey, you know, uh, um, some some of these uh, checkoffs not in them, or the hairstyles have changed a little bit, or things like that. The uniforms are slightly different, or yeah, yeah, they <coughs> they, they change it slightly, or or you could if you want to get technical, you can you can go to the the opening titles are slightly different, the music's different, all that stuff. But really, they they're just a a a, a collection of self-contained episodes. And the way that we experienced track growing up was very much in that that was the way that we mm-hmm. experienced it. We didn't start at the beginning and go to the end. No, and this and is just the fact that the first, this is the first time we have watched them in broadcast order and right. and and of course when they were syndicated I'm quite certain they were not shown in this order. In fact, I right. don't think even they if, were even necessarily I'm not even sure if they were shown if, if the same if in the early days especially when they when the show was shipped around the country and in reels of film to TV stations to show um, in the in the seventies or whatever. So even if you were watching them on TV regularly in syndication, you, you wouldn't. Necessarily you might see have a third them. season followed by a first season, probably right. whatever they happen to get that week. Right. Because they, they well, that's how that's how the show was 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 got gotten around. Yeah. Well, I, I remember watching it when I was young, and there yeah. was no. I mean, I knew that there were three series or three seasons, but I had. Uh, no real feel for um, which episodes were from which season, or uh, or getting a hold of a, a TV guide magazine so you could tell which episode was actually going to show next week. Yeah, and I remember you complaining that the TV guide descriptions were too vague to figure out which episode. Well, that, it was. that's my my. I'm sure I've I've written this in one of my blog posts, but uh, the 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 one that always I I always remember laughing at is uh, the description they would just insert into almost all of them was. Kirk and the landing party beam down to an alien world where they encounter a weird creature. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that was pretty much uh, the. I mean, there, there are very, very variations on that, but, uh, but, but at least I think at some point they uh, they gave you enough information you could tell um, if a favorite was coming up. Right. In, in, mm-hmm. in the seemingly random assortment you got, and I think later on they, when I probably when videotape was common that the tv stations probably had the entire run of the show to to put on the air they probably then put at least put them on in the same season Mm. Mm -hmm. i'm I'm guessing but uh yeah yeah, that's interesting but really again you don't notice it that much i mean i remember 
very young and noticing that oh this one looks this one has a different look to it yeah i think you were a lot more attuned to those things than i was when i was watching it john because i you know i think every once in a while you would comment on differences i think uh in the credits or you know well you, it's yeah the credit stuff i mean you know, i i i focus on the technical details sometimes or or as i said even um, well, how you can tell which season you're in by the length of Scotty's sideburns. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's that's a real thing, and uh, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in Spock's brain. Yes. <laughs> um, well, do we want to get into any of the uh, backstory on what happened between the end of the second season and the beginning of the third season? I mean, we could talk about that as a transition to why Spock's brain is bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was actually reading a, um, just, I don't know, I just happened to look it up, pull that episode up on Wikipedia, not the um, Memory Alpha site, but the standard Wikipedia page. And, you know, most of it's very similar material, but the thing that, uh, I, that you know, it did go into the bit about how it's considered one of the worst episodes and... Uh, Several cast members have talked about how embarrassed they were by it and things like that. Yeah. In fact, I bet that the funny thing is I remember seeing at least, there's at least one scene where Shatner delivers a line in Spock's brain where you can almost see it on his face. Like, I can't believe I'm reading this crap. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which <laughs> one was that, that? I It's near the beginning. I can't read. He's, he's probably in the one of these ridiculous brain explanation dia- dialogues that, that they have to do. It's, yeah, I, I forget exactly, but I just had that thought. It's like, even Shatner is having a hard time selling this. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, but I, I think that... Now, Eric, you might want to... We could briefly just talk about the fact that um, NBC had renewed the show a second time. Right. And well... And they had some kind of a, a falling out with Roddenberry, and he basically left the show after the second season. Is that? I mean, I know he still had executive producer, you know, credits and things, but he didn't have involvement with the day-to-day running of the show. Right. Um, uh, I have a CD of, uh, of a, a record that was produced in 1975, and it's uh, Gene Roddenberry um, interviewing um, Mark Leonard. Bill Shatner, um, DeForest Kelly, Isaac Asimov, and and talking about track. I and also I have some, that same record. Ah, <laughs> and they also have uh, clips of uh, talks that he did at uh, uh, various conventions. Um, at the uh, NBC tried to kill uh, Trek after the first season in a big letter writing campaign, uh, convinced them to bring it back for a second season, and then. It happened again. They tried to kill it after the second season, but there was another letter-writing campaign, and uh, so they brought it back. And put it on Friday night. Which well, what a... <laughs> what happened, according to Chet, or, uh, according to Ronberry, is that uh, is that um, he said that if they would uh, bring it back, uh, give them a good primetime slot, that he would come back for a third season and line produce the show. And they said they would. And then at some point um, before 
production began on the third season, they came back and said, hey, we got a great idea. We'll put you on at 10.30 on Friday nights. And he was going, like, fuck you are. And uh, so, uh, yeah, like you were saying, the uh, uh, big fight ensued, and uh, Roddenberry said that he uh, he intended to try to get other shows on the air so he couldn't didn't feel like he could back down, and so he basically walked away. And the studio then brought in Fred Freiberger to take over as line producer. Um, yeah, yeah. And interestingly, Ron Berry also said that uh, um, in, in looking back on it, that uh, his fatigue from having done battle with the uh, the networks, well, by that time it was something like four years because, you know, with the pre-production and on uh, the cage and marketing it and everything like that, he'd been doing it since, so I, I think since 1964. Anyway, so... Yeah, he, he really worked his ass off. Yeah, yeah. Trying to, trying to keep that show afloat and... So the, that leads us to the question. Is Roddenberry's lack of involvement in th- third season is that is that the reason for its overall lesser quality uh, now of, of course uh, i i believe that the budgets were very constrained right for third season compared to the the other ones so that you can i suppose blame some of that but it certainly doesn't for example i think spock's brain could have been written in a very different way and been an okay episode. Yeah, and and, and so that, that you can't blame the budget for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, so what? What was the problem? Well, I don't know. I mean, I uh, yeah, the explanation for that probably varies from person to person. I read uh, that um, the cast members like Nichelle Nichols and Bill Shatner uh, responding to criticisms of. Uh, Fred Freiberger that it wasn't uh, it wasn't his fault, uh, Freiberger's fault, it was the fact that they got a shitty time slot and that their budgets were slashed so that they couldn't do location shooting and you mm-hmm. know the, the money that they could spend on special effects and um, pre- presumably writing staff too, you know <clears throat> took a nosedive and uh, one other thing that um, is important to note is that um, Fred, or Gene Kuhn had died by uh, the end of the second season. I can't remember. Let me... Well, anyway, he, he was uh, one of the producers, and uh, when you read some of the stuff that uh, Bob Justman and Herb Solo <coughs> said about um, Gene Kuhn, much of the, uh, the feel and the character interaction that we recognize as classic Trek came from him. And so when, uh, when he died, uh, that was a serious blow to, um, well, the quality of the writing and the so, so would you say he was kind of the the glue that held it all together? Not exactly, but he uh, he had a considerable influence on um, uh, things like the uh, 
the character interactions that we uh, we like so much, and uh, I don't know that he originated them, but uh, when he was, I mean, as a producer, when he was uh, working on scripts and stories and things, uh, he was he was able to bring those uh, those character points out and those interact he, to emphasize and kind of guide those interactions and, and character um, character points. Um, and so, I mean, that, that was one thing that was missing. So basically you could say that he, uh, you know, he, he had his, he had involvement in not only some of the, the writing or at least uh, had input on the writing if he wasn't writing them outright. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. He, right. he definitely had a, uh, put his stamp there yeah but uh, but also when the shows were being shot and on how things were directed and 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 edited and produced all, all that you know and that that's somebody uh, somebody uh, not just him but i think in any good successful um, show that has you know good continuity and characters and everything else does have a, a, some kind of vision behind it or, or at least some consistency to, to keep that going I, I, I mean if you look at uh, you know <clears throat> other other shows that are much even more episodic than than truck is um they're they're all just like you know small you know self-contained movies that have very little to do with each other like the twilight zone or something like that which is you know, of course what it was intended to be but this, this show definitely had some had, had had a vision behind it even beyond the the scope of the show just to the characters and um, the, its sensibility. So it, it occurred to me as I was watching Spock's brain that, and this is just an idea, just a thought, that they were somehow making an attempt to repitch the show um, to get it to a broader audience by kind of dumbing it down a little bit. And I, I don't know if there's anything to that, but it, it struck me as being one plausible explanation for why the episode stinks and is so, um, you know, they spend so much time kind of restating things that are happening and, you know, saying blindingly obvious things um, that maybe it was some sort of, like, sort of like, I, I feel like towards the end of season two, I had sort of a similar feeling about Bread and Circuses, that it was... On the one hand, it was an attempt to try to get, to draw people in, um, but was also kind of an FU to the network um, that was about to cancel them. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know if, um, if, you, if you look at that, if, if the people that made Spock's brain, if, if they... If they if they knew that, that they were getting very little respect and attention, that... I, I, of course... These people were all professionals, so they weren't going to do nothing. But um, if if that flavored how how they went about all this, it was like, well, we we were no nobody gives a shit about this, so we're we're just gonna crank crank out this episode. Well, well, I think I mean, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Um, I'm looking at uh, Memory Alpha, and I also looked up Gene Kuhn on Wikipedia. He uh, was a producer from the middle of the sec- or first season through the m- middle of the second season. 
um, he uh, he actually wrote several very very good um, episodes. He uh, Devil in the Dark Arena and A Taste of Armageddon uh, are some of them. Um, and he contributed scripts to um, the third season, writing under the pseudonym Lee Cronin. And I'm looking up Spock's brain, and it was written by Lee Cronin. Yeah. Which <laughs> Interesting. Which per- perplexes me. And it was directed by Mark Daniels. And, I mean, he was, was a direct a, right. He directed some of the best episodes. So I don't understand what the hell. You know, when, when, when you're talking about the script. It, it's extremely subversive. Well, <laughs> You know, the, I mean, it could um, be, or it could just be that these guys are professionals, and and their overriding concern is keeping jo- their jobs. You know, trying to get an audience for the show, yeah. and it's. I mean, I think they are concerned for the you know they for the sensibility of the show as well. But but you know, where's my paycheck going to come from? <laughs> right. this, of course, it's no, maybe no accident that this was the last episode directed by Mark Daniels. Oh, oh that's wow. interesting. <laughs> That's um, it may not be. It may just be a coincidence. An, a, another point about Fred Freiberger, and uh, do, do you guys remember that uh, uh, mid seventies uh, science fiction show? It was a British science fiction show called Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. Yeah, oh, I remember sure, that. Sure. It lasted two seasons, and it was created by uh, Jerry Anderson, and uh, he uh, he produced the. Uh, uh, him, him and his wife, um, um, and I can't remember her name, just off the top of my head. But he produced the first season, and uh, I recently, just out of morbid curiosity, went and rewatched uh, that first season on. Uh, they they have it on YouTube, and uh, a lot of it is laughable, particularly the music and the costumes and 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 so on. But uh, the second season, I, I don't remember the circumstances, but um, the Andersons uh, were basically taken out of the equation. And guess who they brought in to produce the second season of Space 1999? Fred Freiberger. <laughs> and I watched just a little bit of uh, um, the, the like, like the first couple second season episodes. And what I noticed was that while the first season was, uh, I mean, it had its own inherent camp factor. It at least took itself seriously. And it seemed like when um, when uh, Freiberger took over in the second season, it was uh, <coughs> it was um, like they just abandoned all pretense of, you know, a serious drama and went for pure camp. And, uh, Maybe not, that might be too strong a way to put it, but, I mean, I think you get my uh, my meaning there, and uh, I, I can't help but compare that to what happened between the first two seasons of Trek and the third season. Because, I mean, oh, you, you look at Spock's brain, the way to Eden, uh, the Paradise <laughs> Syndrome, and, you know. And but, they go on. <laughs> but, but, you know, on the flip side of that, uh, there were some, actually some, really good episodes in the third season. It's just that they were much more few and far between. Right. One of the things I noticed about uh, Spock's brain, getting back to it, is that 
there there are script inconsistencies throughout, and one of them that really um, struck me this time when I was rewatching it was um, after the teaser when what's her face comes and steals Spock's brain. When we come back for the first act, um, Koi gets Kirk down to sick bay, and Spock's lying there. He's already there. Yeah, yeah and he, he explains <laughs> what what's going on, and um, McCoy says, well, you know, that his Vulcan body held on while his brain was gone, which is laughable. But, you know, you know, he's his his Vulcan body and physiology is so tough that he was able it was able to survive without a brain. Okay, well. And then, you know, in that same scene he turns around and says, Well, his body is much more dependent on his brain. Yeah, so. yep, yep, I I definitely that stuck out pretty pretty badly. What, yeah, that was which all is it, dude. Yeah, that was that whole explanation was so mangled and incoherent, you know. Yeah, it and was awful. <laughs> it you know, but why he was surviving the the arbitrary twenty four hour period when right it, during you know, after which or, he his choose, body would stop he, working. It, I think it was um, one of the one of those situations where okay, if you're going to have a premise like this, um, sometimes it's better not to try and explain it yeah. in, in that in that kind of detail rather than and than do it this way. Of course, they could have written it so it sounded a little more plausible. But yeah, it, it it mangle is a great way to put it. It was just, you know, t- tough to sit there and, and say, "Well, wait a minute, how did this happen? How did this happen?" And and of course, the 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 most obvious thing at the beginning in there is how um, that all they wake up, Spock's already down in sick bay, and then nobody even asks how would he get there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, did she pick him up? Or I, I mean, it doesn't really matter that much. Did but she just, leave him there and sit? Did it, she <laughs> just as a courtesy? You know, like when somebody steals your organs and they leave a note yeah. or something, or they well, drop you yeah, in the hospital. Well, they leave you in a bathtub full of ice. Right. Um, it's and the other thing, as long as we're in, in the episode a little bit here, is that the the uh, the, the very beginning of the episode before the credits start. Or actually, before um, what's what's her name shows up, is it? It's really actually it's actually pretty good. There there are lots of you know the the, the ship is flying around. It's on alert. You know you get all these cool shots of people doing their jobs on the bridge. It's actually pretty well put together. I thought it's like well th- this actually started out pretty good, and 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 then she shows up and it, it goes off the rails. But it it's it, it's interesting that way. And and the other thing that occurred to me is how when they go down to the planet they they take two red shirts with them and Mm -hmm. both of them survive oh wow you know especially i you know what i I really had been a long time since i've seen it and so i you know that they show up down there and i know they're going to run into the 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 dudes down there (laughs) who are like the most carrying weapons and and, and, yeah i was going to say they're the most unthreatening Oh yeah, <laughs> adversaries like the the dudes, like the, the, hey man, yeah the, yeah the 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 dudes are gonna am- trying to ambush them. And I thought you know what, maybe they'll clobber one of the, the red shirts, and and even that doesn't happen. It's like that there's something is wrong here. Both of the red shirts are sitting by the the campfire rock. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's all, all this all, all these this shots setup. of them warming their hands on the rocks. 
I mean, it talk was. about something that could have been cut in a syndication edit. <laughs> but, um, oh. of course, the, the funniest line in the whole thing was, call Chekhov, tell him to send my stomach down. <laughs> right, that's a pretty good line. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the episode. Oh, I'm sorry to so, hear that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's in an elevator. <laughs> I So there's a couple of things about this episode that actually stuck with me. And from like when I fungus. saw it as a child, kind of like kind of like a fungus, but but I think it means that there's something to them, you know. And one is the image of the brainless Spock. The kind of the kind of creepy. It's creepy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's sort of he's like a zombie, and yeah, and there's something uh, kind of cool about that. Even though, even though it's sort of ridiculous too that they have this and remote he's control in a jump, jumpsuit and and he's in, yeah and for some reason he's in jumpsuit and it's kind of ridiculous but it's also the the shots of him of the of the brainless body are sort of like a little disturbing and, and kind of memorable yeah I I'll, I'll give you that Rob that they 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 got that looking really unsettling yeah um, yeah and, and it really uh, except sometimes it was ruined by the 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 mechanical noise that when he <laughs> walks around cooking. like 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 you're winding a watch yeah right. something like that it's like it's like why why did they have to do that it's like because <laughs> it's like oh you have to be reminded that he he's under some kind of electronic control so you have to click 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 right yeah uh, that that That's... really that could have been been lost the the other thing is the teacher and many times when I was in college. And later, you know, in, and even when I was practicing law, I, I would think of this episode and I would think of McCoy um, because I would be up late at night trying to write a paper that was mm-hmm. due the next day. And I would have this, at some point, I would have the whole paper in my head and I would, yes, of course, it's so simple. A child, a could, child do it. could do it. And then I would start writing and I would struggle and I would think... Wow, I'm just like McCoy. Like I've just like I had that moment, that epiphany, and now I'm starting to lose it. You mean, Rob, you weren't writing your your paper at warp speed? Well, I would, I would start. I would Whatever start writing means. at warp speed. That's the thing. I would start, and then I would start to falter because I would forget yeah. what my what my great scheme was for the paper, like my great idea. Yeah, and your typing would... fell to sublight speed. Exactly. Yeah, he's he he didn't really look like he was operating at warp speed. No, he was sort of. Hey man, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so that, in that way at least, this this episode did stick with me because I think of yeah. it whenever, whenever I've had something, some big project to finish. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, um, in spite of all of its flaws, the, um, well, quote unquote, going out of orbit joke mm-hmm. was pretty good. You know about McCoy saying, "I never should have connected his mouth or reconnected his mouth." That was, that was a pretty good. Yeah, but. That, that that and it was actually warranted. You know, yeah. I thought I thought it really was. Yeah, th- those were some of the highlights. Um, I this occurred to me a while back, but I may have mentioned it. But um, this this episode, I was reminded of um, while I was watching a Doctor Who episode a while back, one from the current s- series, where the, the on the on the plot of that that episode, they come across a. A, an alien ship that is using um, body parts to run the ship. 
and they're after a certain person's brain to act as the ship's, you know, basically a controller, like in this episode. Uh, which uh, which doctor was it? Uh, the David Tennant. I think it's uh, third season. So that would have been with um, Donna. No, you know, it's I want I'm wrong. It's second season because Rose is still there. So that's uh, that that's the one where they're like hanging around in 18th century France or something like that. Oh yeah, is that the one with the uh, the countess that he falls in love yep, with? Yep, yep, that's the one. Oh, where okay, it tur- yeah. turns out that the, the the robots are trying to get her brain to, yes. to run their ship. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So a tribute? Uh, uh, is it a tribute to Spock's brain? I, you, perhaps. Could be, or or maybe this has been done elsewhere. Who knows? But it's it's a really very creative, of course, and and you don't even really figure it out until the end. Right. It's it's a it's it's a great episode actually. But that that's that that's just like hey, it's like a it's like Spock's brain concept done right. Yeah. yeah. Well, in and a really interesting way, and and that was also kind of creepy. Well, you know, in your point about how uh, this could have been. A reasonably good episode had it uh, been written better and directed and produced better. It kind of reminds me of Star Trek V because, <laughs> I, yeah, I know it's cringe-inducing, but um, I'd rather watch that than Spock's brain. <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, yeah, eh. but you know the, the the story behind Star Trek V, if. Um, if they'd had a competent director and a decent screenwriter, um, could have been, you know, a good movie. Maybe not great, but I think it it wouldn't have sucked ass quite as much. And um, I don't know. I it, it's just a shame that it, it that it wasn't handled better. And, and you know, again, you, once in a while, you find little things about it that that stand out. I, I actually kind of enjoyed the part where, even though it's it, it's a little silly, but the, the parts where they're talking to Spock's brain over the communicator. Right. And that, it, it's a device, of course, but it's it, it was a, a, actually a clever way to get Nimoy acting beyond just walking around like a zombie. And uh, I, I thought that actually was, was fine. Well, the only question I have is how does his disembodied brain have his voice well, he's able to transmit his voice through the advanced technology electronically <laughs> through the ion frequency uh, using ion power. That sounds like a steaming load of horseshit. <laughs> well, what do you expect, Eric? We're, we're trying our best. We're trying you our explain best. Explain an episode like this. And... <laughs> so, okay, as long as we're we're in the in the in the weeds on this, uh... so. Is is this the most insulting misogynistic episode of the series? See, I did. I, I know you mentioned that before that you thought it was especially misogynistic, but I the fact that there are a bunch of dumb women, um, <laughs> but the, I mean, the the dudes are also stupid too, though. Well, so I don't mis- know that it's. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. Yeah, the misogyny is certainly thick. Maybe thicker than any other episode, but look at the misandry too. I mean, the only the the native guys are are look like they they're stoned off their asses, and you know they are they kowtow to 
what the women do, whether through drugs or sex or whatever. And I mean, you know, that's actually less. I, I think the part that pushes it over the edge for me is is the way that Kirk reacts when and, and the stuff he says in re- reacting I reaction to um, the setup is you know he says stuff like, "Well, this all should never have been done for you," and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, th- things like that, and. I, I I just think uh, he tosses off a lot of lines that uh, that that I, I mean for the time yeah okay it's like we don't kill men all oh, these are just women what, what what's going on with that you know? <laughs> right you can certainly see the delight aspects of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a line that certainly was I mean the the whole the whole concept of yeah. it I guess has a, it, you're right it's, has it's a, awful well I'm curious John why why does Kirk pointing out that, uh, well, as I see it, he was pointing, what he was saying was that the the division of the men from the women and arbitrarily assigning them these roles and everything shouldn't have happened. I mean, do you, what, I don't understand why that bothers you. What, what, you mean the line where he says that this should not have been done for the women? Well, he's for talking about. Well, yeah, you know, they're talking about how the uh, this underground complex has been set up to take care of the women. Oh. And Kirk says, well, this should never have been done for you. Oh. Like a very, very uh, patronizing kind of way. That, that's what I'm talking about. I see. There. Okay. Yeah. And, and of course, I mean, yeah, it, it, the whole thing is just is <laughs> brain dead. <laughs> but it, it's... Um, but but it just it, it, it's made worse by again some of the little one one off one liners that are tossed off and, and also just the way all the women are dressed and act and everything else in the episode and of course you've got the like oh brain what is brain brain and then, and then and then she of course gets all the knowledge and she's like gentlemen this is accurate blah 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 and just gets all you know right <laughs> Just, which is kind of, you know, it's a, again, it's a device, but it's um, kind of a flowers for Algernon sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so that's uh, um, the the only thing that I, is against the misogyny Star Trek um, theme is that Kirk does not use sex to get something out of them. Yeah, it's another way in which it's interesting. Our expectations are. Are thwarted. Yeah, he does not try and come on to the the leader. Well, maybe that's like he would in many other episodes. Well, maybe that's because he's wearing that restraining belt that they can use to torture him. But that doesn't stop him in the gamesters of Dry Skellion. Yeah, well, that's true. No, I, I I think that that it just that was deliberately not done. He he tries to appeal to her and and, and trick her and other things, but he does not use his his powers his hmm. powers of seduction very, very unkirk like actually yeah so kirk doesn't it. doink the alien woman the alien leader woman mm-hmm. and the red shirts live hmm. yeah i mean there, there are some disturbing trends yeah. <laughs> luckily they don't last but <laughs> um well gentlemen yeah. i have to sign off yeah, we we can leave it here. Um, if, if, if and of course we have the written reviews, and we can um, certainly pick this up a little more at the next one. But yeah, um, we could if we have any any follow up thoughts. I, I think we, we caught most of it, but uh, if you guys feel good about it, we can sure. we can do that. And 
all that stuff. So that's it's been a good good chatting with you guys. Yes, indeed. I right. see. Well, then you guys have fun with your respective givers of pain and delight. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to say it. I was waiting for it. Woohoo! <laughs> so, good night. Good night. See you guys later. Bye.